not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Beebidi-boo, doot-doodle-doo, dee-ba-da-pow. Welcome to A Real Education Noir. I am Melissa. I am your host, along with... Wendy and... Allie. And the three of us this week are going to watch Mildred Pierce. Mmm, Mildred. Mildred Pierce. That's not a name you hear much anymore. No, no, Mm. no, no. Not really. But yeah, it's it's a 1945 film with Joan Crawford. Again. Again, Joan Crawford. We get a Joan Crawford twofer, you know, with last week. Have you seen this movie, Wendy? I have not. Excellent. No, you can be our newbie this. this okay, week. so you two have both I've seen it. Seen yes. it. Okay. Yes. I have not, yes. as we know from previous episodes. I'm. I've never been much of a Joan Crawford fan. Uh, I think she just is so hard looking that I avoided her. But now that I'm seeing the stuff that she is best known for, I am rethinking my earlier prejudice because I really enjoyed last week's movie. Excellent. And so I'm looking forward to this one Mm -hmm. very much. Um, I know that this is like the Joan Crawford movie. Like she won the Oscar for this. Um, When my mom was like, what's the movie this week? And I said, Mildred Pierce. She was like, you've never seen it. I'm like, well, it would be your fault. So don't complain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And that's all I know. Her name is Mildred Pierce. Mildred Pierce. And it's got Joan Crawford, and it was 1945, and she won the Oscar, so I'm betting it's pretty good. That's all I got. It's pretty neat. It's pretty yeah. nifty. Does she pierce something? <laughs> You'll have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> and we will find out soon. Okay, so what do we do? We want to talk biographical a little bit? Well, well, first, I, I would like to say I have seen this movie before. I remember nothing about it, so it'll be like I'm seeing it for the first time. Again. I'll probably be watching it. Oh, this movie. But... But right now I'm going in going, I know a lot about everybody in this movie and how it was made and all that stuff, but by God, I still don't know what's going to show in front of my face. And I'm really happy. Mm. I'm going to eat popcorn. And Allie, though. I have seen it. Is a fan. In recent years. Um, And yes, I enjoyed it immensely. And I'm super excited to see it in a theater setting and, and munch popcorn. And, uh. Then get to talk about how it differs from the source novel. <laughs> Have we given enough love on the podcast to the Heights? I think we can always give a little bit more love to the Heights. So, dear listeners, um, for the last four weeks, we have been going to the Heights Movie Theater in Columbia Heights, uh, Minnesota, during their film noir festival that usually kind of happens every February or so. Just a weekly event where you go and there's a new film noir film playing off of glorious 35 millimeter oh yeah and this is the last week of that series Aww. yeah Aww. well and the it's... heights is the longest continually running movie theater in the twin cities possibly minnesota i yeah, don't remember I but so. it's it's a historical theater and they have a working organ yeah the, the mighty Wurlitzer, and it even goes up and down on a little platform it's yeah. great there are hydraulics and everything <laughs> and they play so um when it's the seven thirty movie and i think i don't know if it's every weeknight but i know that it's like thursday friday saturday the seven o'clock slot they will play organ music for like the half hour before the movie. And it's so delightful. So this month I have heard organ rendition of um, 
pure imagination once a week. Which is so amazing. <laughs> it does not get old. I know, right? It's my favorite there thing. There was also songs from... He did a whole suite one week of show tunes. Needless yes. to say, I knew all of them. I'm like, oh, this is from a chorus line. <laughs> and of course, I have a fondness for the Heights because that was actually where I got married. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful. It crystal chandeliers, a disco ball, and an adjacent Dairy Queen. Yes. Yeah, what's not to love? Yeah. In the summer months, you can stop and get yourself a little treat before or after the movie. So you actually, prefer- you can you can buy ice cream and bring it into the theater. Mm-hmm. It's totally cool. Mm-hmm. So. <sighs> All right. So, dear listeners, we are going to go watch Mildred Pierce, and we encourage you to go watch Mildred Pierce too. And then after that, we will be right back. All right. Yay! Yay! Yeah, that was a hell of a thing. Right? I told you so. <laughs> okay, so I really wanted to choke the child to death. Funny to you should death. mention that. To so death. We'll get into that. All okay. later. Okay. <laughs> well, pr- let's do a quick rundown on the plot. If yeah. you haven't seen it, Very you quick. should go watch it. But if you're, if you're feeling lazy and just want to listen to us talk about it, uh, the movie opens with gunshots and a man falling to the floor. The next thing you know, you see Joan Crawford, the titular Mildred Pierce, and she's apparently contemplating suicide. She runs into an old friend, Wally, who's a very shady character, convinces him to come back to the house where you know the body is, Mm -hmm. and locks him in and runs away and apparently calls the cops. Mm -hmm. And the cops find the body, and Wally's like, hey, there's a stiff in there, huh? The she ends up at the police station and the rest of the story is pretty much told in flashback as they are investigating the murder. And the flashback is uh, four years ago. Yeah, yes. there's a four year timeline. Four years ago, she was just a housewife, but her husband had lost his job and they had two daughters and she was spoiling them rotten and mm-hmm. they argued about it. And it seems like maybe the husband was uh, maybe sleeping around on the side and she said, fine, that's it. Get out. Mm hmm. And he was all like, fine, let's see how you do without me. Well, as it turns out, pretty damn well. She starts as a waitress, decides that she's going to open her own restaurant. Um, In the process of opening her own restaurant, meets Monty Berrigan, who seduces her, which she's really okay with. And she opens her own restaurant. She becomes a very wealthy and established businesswoman. Uh, Her younger child dies. Spoiler! And so she... (laughs) Uh, like doubles down on spoiling the older daughter like whoa who really doesn't need it because her older daughter is evil she is super duper evil Evil. um the ex-husband is still lurking around being a decent fellow consistently and she starts giving money to monty berrigan because they're still kind of sleeping together and but monty is spending a heck of a lot of time with the uh the daughter that that's a little disturbing. Finally, she kicks him to the curb because he's bleeding her dry. And then the daughter 
gets all... The daughter gets married to a rich man just so she can blackmail him to get money from him. And she's like, what kind of a person are you? Get out of my house. And so she does get out. But her mom's like, oh, I feel bad. Come back. And she's like, no, I don't want to come back until I have the life that Monty showed me. So idiot goes to Monty. Um, okay, let's get married so that I can make my daughter happy. Like, serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, uh... Only if you give me a third of your business. Mm-hmm. And that's a great scene right there. She's like, mm-hmm. fine, agreed. He leans in for a kiss. She stops him with a sold one barrigan. I'm like, oh, snap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now she's and the daughter comes back because now that they're wealthy, mom, I promise I'll change. I'll never be mean again now that you've given me exactly what I wanted. Uh, skip forward. She's basically bled the business dry, trying to keep the two of them in the lifestyle they want. And it's her daughter's birthday again. And she's in a meeting where she finds out that she's basically going to be bankrupt. And it's her husband's fault because he try- he wants to cash out his third. She goes to confront him and finds him kissing her daughter. You. And the daughter's all like, I took your husband too. Because she's a bitch. and so you flash back to the police station and you're thinking well we know it's not wally you think it's her she's admitted it mildred's all like it was me i did it i did it i did it and and the cop's like no we know you didn't do it we know who did it she's right here it's your fucking daughter who's evil did you not notice that (laughs) and the daughter first thing out of her mouth is to bitch at her mother you said you wouldn't say anything oh shut up if you value your own life you shut up (laughs) and so finally the daughter is getting what she deserves and maybe she will finally learn a lesson i wanted the best life and i was ashamed of the fact that you worked for a living what so so this is what you get in return you get to go to prison you little skank and uh mildred walks off arm in arm with her ex-husband who was supporting her. So remember, they split up because she was because she was spoiling the two kids and he was being maybe maybe some infidelity. But he's been nothing but decent and supportive since they got a divorce. Very strange. So now they're getting back together now that they have no kids. Yeah. So clearly all that was wrong in their relationship was the kids. <laughs> Well, you know, well, only well, the oldest. The yeah, the oldest kid was Hellspawn. Yes. The younger Hellspawn. daughter would have been fine with just a few toys. and Yeah, yeah. give her a football and some overalls and she'd have been happy for life. Yeah, yeah. That, that younger kid was awesome. But no, she died. It was very sad. So yeah, it's... It, it's it's very Douglas Sirk. It's like it, pr- proto yes. Douglas Sirk. It's it's very melodramatic. It's very soap opera y and and filled with characters that make poor decisions. <laughs> yes, but it is also filled with snappy dialogue. Oh, very snappy. Mm-hmm. And Eve Arden. I love her yes. so yes. much. Eve Arden has this lovely bit part as like the restaurant manager. Yeah, yeah. Her, she her used to be manager. her boss when yeah. Mildred was a waitress. And then when Mildred started her own business, she brought her in to manage it. And she's fabulous. She's snappy and sarcastic and there's a point where wally walks by and is oogling her and she's like jeez leave me some clothes i'm gonna catch cold it's so great Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) ah oh her delivery is just perfect and and there's a scene where wally is because wally is like the childhood buddy 
who's always had a crush on Mildred and he is unabashedly just trying to get in her pants. It's not cute. It's not charming. It's harassment. Yeah. Yep. Like the minute he shows up at the house and he's like, actually, we just split up. He literally shoulders her aside, walks in and is like, by the way, I like ice in the drink you're about to fix me. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, and how did, how about the move as she tries to walk away he grabs the belt of her, her robe yeah. as she walks away and it kind of unthreads a little it's like ah no yeah, and he, but she deflects him with great banter yes, mm-hmm. and finally literally shoves him out the door yep. yeah that was yeah. satisfying so it's actually there's a lot of great female characters mm-hmm. um, she's powerful she's successful she's capable She's a, a kind of stupid when it comes to her daughter, unfortunately. Yeah, but she's like, actually yeah. pretty, pretty self-aware in her relationships with men. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because very she it's not like she marries Monty dewy eyed because he seduces her. No, they're lovers. They're having a good time. She's buying him nice things. And eventually she's like, you know what? Fuck this. Mm-hmm. I got to kick you to the curb. <laughs> You're bleeding me dry. Go away. Go away. You were fun for a while, and now you're just expensive. Here's a check. <laughs> yeah. Just go. Yeah, she just go. gives him money, and she's like, bye. <laughs> yeah, and... For, for services rendered. Exactly. But she's never a jerk to her ex-husband. No. Nope. And, I mean, seriously, I, I was like, actually, she's doing really well. She's pretty self-aware. Her blind spot is her fucking daughter. Yep. Who is and evil. She's pretty aware of it, but doesn't care to stop it because her world is her children which admittedly is a good quality in a mother but she takes it to a very well she says to the husband at the beginning the kids are the more are more important than you they will always come first than Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. they will always come first I actually disagree with that as a philosophy of life, FYI. But she knows her daughter is spoiled. She even calls her spoiled and then she buys her a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A car that is enormous, for the record. <laughs> like, how does she not, like, run three people over just backing it out of that spot? Well, it that... is so enormous. It's shoulder height on her when she walks up Yes. Like, oh, yeah. Well, th- that's the way cars were built back oh, then. Oh, my because God. And it's a convertible. Big equaled safety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it kind of did. Kind of, because he could be bigger than the other cars. He could just ram them off the road and just... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's total Mad Max sensibility out there on the roads in the forties. Yeah. Ah, let's see. Um, the Wally is played by the cop from Arsenic and Old Lace. Yeah, delightful. Yeah, uh, Jack Carson. Jack. That's his name. Mm -hmm. And he was a he was an old RKO player. He was also on Cat in a Hot Tin Roof and a very good episode of Twilight Zone. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean he's a solid actor. He's a good character actor. But that voice. Yeah. And I'm so imprinted on Arsenic and Old Lace that every time we spoke, I'm like, yeah, Arsenic and Old Lace. (laughs) (laughs) I I have one piece of trivia about him that I absolutely love. So um, during the 1940s, he would disappear. The actor would just disappear for weeks at a time, and only his wife would know where he was, and she wouldn't tell anybody. So he just vanish. (laughs) and he it turned out many years later it turned out um he was a clown in the clyde Beatty circus oh Oh, my goodness that's fantastic yeah he just vanished to live his secret life as As a a clown 
as, as a, a circus clown. As a circus clown. Oh, you do you, buddy. Come on. That's awesome. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? That's fantastic. He, he used to do a lot of comedies, too, and, and uh, he was apparently famous for his double take, so... He had he had a snappy sense of timing, and you oh, can yeah. kind of see it. You can kind of mm-hmm. see it here, even though he's not doing outright comedy. You can see that. Oh, yeah, you can certainly oh, see it in our time and old lace. Yeah, mm-hmm. the daughter is played by Anne Blythe. Yep, who was nominated for an Oscar for her role, mm-hmm. as she should have been. She does a great job because yeah. you really hate her. Of course, I recognize her because she is Marcina from the movie Kismet, which stars, as we know, one of my favorites, Howard Keel, and she is still around. She's still alive. She's mm. in her 80s right now. I bet around. she's still spunky. Yeah, probably. Um, she was married from 1953 to 2007 when her husband died. So that she was married for like over 50 years to a doctor. Um, in 1951, Howard Hughes gave her a car and a swimming pool. So she was kind of in that little herd ah. of actresses. Um she raised a lot of eyebrows in 1954 because uh, she sang at the Oscars ceremony that year. She w- sang one of the Oscar-nominated songs. She did it on, on TV while seven months pregnant. <gasps> what? Which was crazy wow. back then. You have a baby in your belly and that makes us wonder how it got there. There might have been penises involved. <laughs> But yeah, she 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 was quite the little actress. She had uh, quite a career. Um, she started acting at age thirteen. Her first movie was at age fifteen. This was fairly early in her career. Yeah, Mildred Pierce is one of her earliest films. Yeah, yeah, really impressive. Mm-hmm. Also, she was the spokeswoman for Hostess Cupcakes in the nineteen seventies. Yes, she was. <laughs> Hostess Cupcakes. Yum. So basically, the the anti Vita. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, you you really should see Kismet because she sings beautifully. Um, I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's her voice because she's I think known I, as a oh, singer. Well, yeah, and I think she was trained in opera. Yeah, I, I think wouldn't she, be surprised. Yes, I think she was. Um, so, and then, of course, Joan Crawford. Joan. Oh, Joan. Oh, wow. Oh, Joan. Oh, we should mention that the, uh, her ex-husband is played by Tarzan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so Bruce Bennett actually started out his career as Herman Bricks in Hollywood. He was, before Hollywood, an Olympic shot putter. He doesn't look it. No, he he got the silver medal in 1928 Um, in shot put. Listeners, he's very tall and lanky, and I tend to think of shot putters as being a lot more... Top heavy? Well, well maybe, maybe shoulder bulky. Maybe leverage, you know, with those big arms or something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But... Um, when they were casting for, God, was it MGM? The, uh, the Tarzan movies in the early sound era, 1931, he was originally going to be Tarzan, but he got a shoulder injury and the role went to Johnny Weissmuller. The famous Johnny Weissmuller, who was an Olympic swimmer. And, uh, and, oh, oh, he was beautiful. He really was. I, I have a thing for Johnny Weissmuller, as most of us really should but um a few years later there was something about the the tarzan franchise where um there was a loophole in the rights so when the johnny weissmuller tarzan movies hit big and made a lot of money uh edgar rice burroughs wasn't really happy with them because the character of tarzan was all wrong uh, compared to the books because tarzan was this rich man who was very learned but he could also talk to the animals and you know live in the jungle whereas weissmuller was kind of like you jane me tarzan so not, very different he, he wasn't happy so competing 
Tarzan franchises started up at the same time. And so in 1935, um, there came this opportunity to do a serial, a movie serial, actually collaborating with Edgar Rice Burroughs. And Herman Bricks was ready to do some Tarzan. So there's this awesome movie serial called New Adventures of Tarzan with Herman Bricks as Tarzan playing a very traditional Edgar Rice Burroughs version of Tarzan. You know, he has his little mansion and he's very Much more sort of a Batman of the apes. Yeah. yeah. And he's doing all Batman stuff in Guatemala, which is where the story is set. And the interesting thing about that, this is 1935. They filmed in Guatemala, which is rare. And they used all live sound, which is one of the first film projects to do that. Neat! I know, right? So, I mean, I'm a Tarzan nerd. That's why I'm launching into this. But yeah, so I saw the name Bruce Bennett. I was like, where do I know the name Bruce Bennett? And I was like, oh, it's Herman Bricks! <laughs> and the, the reason he changed his name to Bruce Bennett is because he got so tied to Tarzan that he couldn't get roles anymore. Yeah. So he changed his name and started getting roles again. I can't even... So here he is. I can't even. <laughs> it was before the internet. Nobody could like look it up and go, you're the same guy. Well, Shh. well, if we wrap it back to Joan Crawford, Joan Crawford started her career with a completely different name. Uh-huh. Her last name was Lesur. I can't remember what her first name was, but it, I don't it's think it was something Joan. very not normal. Yeah, she went she went by the nickname Billy for most of her life. It's what she preferred to be called. But Lucille Faye Lesur. Okay. Yeah, so Lesur sounds like sewer, so they figured they should change it. So even after she made a couple movies, MGM had a had a write-in contest to name the new MGM star. <laughs> so she was named by committee. <laughs> Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, there was a contest to name her. And the first place winner was, I think, was actually Joan Arden or something like that. But another actress came forward. And she said, hey, I'm Joan Arden. And they went, oh, that's not going to work. Now, but second place winner, Joan Crawford. Okay, there you go. You're Joan Crawford. Oh, my God. Did the winner get a prize? Yeah, actually, uh, like a little old lady in New York got a money prize. And... <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. So uh, what's even funnier about that is... After Joan Crawford's name was named to Joan Crawford, you know, she tried to get people to say Joanne Crawford, but that didn't work. Um, Her career launched so quickly in the silent era that they actually re-released her old movies with the credits fixed to Joan Crawford. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Her, Her star came to fame in like the really early sound era, late uh, silent era. She said she learned acting from being in the unknown with Lon Chaney because she would watch him on the set and Lon Chaney just had this focus and he just would give his all to the art of acting. And she was really impressed by that. And she decided, I want to do that. So that's how she got her focus and dedication in acting. Huh? Well, and I'm I'm reading the IMDb trivia on her. She there's a lot of trivia on IMDb. She started obviously in the silent film. So yeah. what's interesting is what I most love about watching her is she's got a great voice. Mm-hmm. And like I quipped, that is clearly a woman who took advantage of elocution lessons, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. her she... voice is so cultured, so controlled. Her diction is flawless. 
there there's some interesting parallels with Mildred Pierce and Joan Crawford in that she came from a very modest upbringing. Like her her mother worked in a laundry and um, um, she was very kind of ashamed of the smell of the laundry. Like kids would you know make fun of her, so she would scrub, try to scrub the smell off of her. She she formed OCD from doing this. She, you know, in her adulthood, she would wash her hands like every 10 minutes. She would follow people around her house and clean silverware and doorknobs as they went through her house. Um, she would, uh, if she was staying in a hotel, she would personally scrub the entire bathroom before she would use it. There is a story about a plumber who was working at her house and she learned that he used the toilet and she made him rip out all the fixtures in the bathroom and replace them. Like scary levels of bacillophobia. But she came from this modern, really modest upbringing and she would, um, you know, if she was very focused on teaching herself about pronunciation of words and being very careful to repeat them to herself so they sound right. Um, you know, she never finished very much school. She was eventually, like, much older, um, accepted into college, but she dropped out after a few months. Well, she was working class. She yeah, was a working she was class really actress. working class. But she she worked super, super hard to be a dancer, to uh, work on her voice, to, you know, and she went under plastic surgery to do, you know, change her face a little bit. And, like, she molded herself into being a movie star. that is a very driven woman yeah um oh and going back to the plastic surgery thing the the doctor that she worked with to do her facial operations um a gentleman named william branch in the 1930s after he had done all that work on her she collaborated with him to form this um program that would treat people who worked in the movie industry for free if they were destitute. So like for many, many years out of um, this Presbyterian hospital in Los Angeles, if you worked for the film industry, but you didn't make very much money, you could always get medical treatment. Um, I have a quote here from the hospital. There was a hospital report, a confidential report in 1939 that said, in the two years after 1937, more than 390 major surgeries were completed. Joan Crawford paid the bills. She never knew the people for whom she was paying, and she didn't care. Wow. And for years it was kept secret. Nobody knew who was paying the bills. And, you know, later when it came out, Joan Crawford did it. She just kind of feigned knowledge. (laughs) Um. Very interesting woman. I mean, I mean, on the flip side, she she'd do these grand gestures like that. She'd um she'd adopt children. She adopted like five kids. One of them she had to give back. But um, you know, she she married a bunch of times. But in between husbands, she apparently felt the need to adopt children. And since she was trying to adult adopt them while single, she'd always have to go to like black market child selling circles and get her kids. <laughs> it is bizarre. And of course, um, she wound up total with four children. The first one she adopted, she named Joan Jr. And eventually she got renamed to Christina. And then one of them got named Terry Phillip Jr. But when she broke up with Terry Phillip, she changed his name to Christopher. And, <laughs> you know, 
there there was a pair of older children there was a pair of younger children the pair of older children are the ones who were disinherited they're the ones who had all the allegations that Joan Crawford was very abusive to them. Christina Crawford was the one who wrote Mommy Dearest. Yeah. And that tell-all book from the, the late 70s, early 80s that... Um, Incidentally, that yeah. was my introduction to Joan Crawford as a yeah. young girl, was was uh, watching the trailer for Mommy Dearest. Oh, God. Because my mother worked in the video store mm-hmm. and seeing that trailer, because I, 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 I'm pretty sure I saw it like... 2,500,000 times. Yeah. And yeah, I had a very hard time with anything with Joan Crawford in it for a very, very long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there, there's a lot of stories about her being awful to people. There's stories about her being really great to people. And it's kind of half and half. I mean, even right down to her kids. It's the older two kids that say she was terrible to us. And the other two kids were like, no, it's not true at all. Um, well, yeah, maybe she knows? learned between the two. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, a lot of actors really hated working with her, and some mm-hmm. people really liked working with her. And Then again, I mean, yeah. was she just a woman who was driven and didn't really care about the niceties of mm-hmm. let's all get on board and ride the feelings train. Yeah. And she's like, we got a job to do. Be a professional. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because. But then, but then she does stuff like um, uh, her daughter, Christina, uh, eventually became an actress and was on a uh, soap opera called. Oh my God. Yeah. Was yes. on, I, I can't remember what the, the oh. soap opera was named, but the, Christina um, had to take a couple weeks off the soap opera to uh, have an ovarian cyst removed. So as she's recuperating in the hospital, apparently Joan has picked up her role in the soap literally, opera. Literally is playing literally, her daughter's role. Yeah, literally showed up. Just steps as, in. Steps in. And apparently drunk as a skunk. <laughs> doing this oh, role. she was a drink Er. Mm-hmm, yeah, she mm-hmm. was drinking a lot of vodka, and vodka is the drink you drink when you're a when you're a hardcore drinker. Yeah, because it's hard to detect. Apparently, yeah, you can't smell it. You can't really quite smell as much. It. Well, the reasoning given because my mom was alive at the time when Joan Crawford stepped in, and she actually saw it. And the oh re- my god, the reason given was that if you were unavailable at that time, they just wrote your character out of these were. Oh yeah. These were disposable TV programs. Oh, yeah. So if you weren't available, they would just write your character out and we were done with you. And so the reason given was, well, I'm going to step into this role to save it for you or else they'll write you off the show. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Which, like, yeah, bizarre. it was either. I mean, I, I've, I've heard that like, oh, I'm doing it for you. And then there was, no, nah, I just really want to be in front of the camera. Cause, and cause this is my was, opportunity. Because this was Jones career was on the wane for a really long time and then yeah. eventually it all just kind of ended with trog of all things <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah 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 well i mean even mildred pierce when she did mildred pierce she was considered washed up she was considered well, a has-been when you realize that she started as an ingenue in silent pictures yeah then yeah by 1945 yeah she was middle-aged what what do we do with you you're known for being an ingenue i don't know what to Get out of here. Yeah. Joan Crawford screen tested for this, which is unheard of in those days. If you were a star, you didn't screen test for anything. Roles came to you or you asked for roles and they gave them to you. But she lobbied hard for this role. She coached Anne Blythe in her screen test. Yes. To help Anne Blythe get it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Cause, and it was their screen test together that sort of clinched the deal for both of them. I'm like, huh. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. Her contract ended with MGM and she just goes, grabs Mildred Pierce and uh, hits it out of the park and gets that gets that Academy Award. And then she got nominated for two more relatively quickly in the years following. Yes. But then things kind of just fell off after that. Yeah. Yeah. Until, of course, what happened to Baby Jane. Which is glorious in its own right. <laughs> so deliciously bitchy. Yeah, I don't... On the one hand, I feel like... Because I've been reading the quotes of hers. And on the one hand, I'm like, you know... She's all like, you know, it takes two to tango. But I don't tango. That's their problem. I don't subscribe to it. But then you re- keep reading more and you're like... I feel like maybe he did. <laughs> I did. Honestly, I think I would have loved to have gotten drunk with Joan Crawford, even more than Betty Davis. Yeah, she would have been. She like, would have drank you under the table, first of all. Well, yeah, and, she and then clean the glass. Yes. <laughs> but along the way, never raising her voice, she. I feel like she would have talked some serious trash about people, and oh, yeah. I would have um, just sat there. Oh goodness, really? Oh, oh a, a glorious bit of trivia that I learned today. She apparently taught Steven Spielberg how to belch. <laughs> Because because she was on the pilot episode of Night Gallery, yep. and which Steven Spielberg directed. Like, Steven Spielberg's first major job, really, was doing this pilot for Night Gallery with Joan Crawford. <laughs> and apparently, you know, as he, his his career bloomed, she'd always write nice little congratulation notes to him. Oh, I just him. saw Jaws. That was delightfully that was scary. So great. And apparently she'd, she would personally respond to every single fan letter she got personally wow. like write it herself on blue paper sign it and send it out the door like she'd spent entire weekends answering well, fan mail. that's actually not surprising when you think yeah. about it this was a woman who was driven to become famous mm-hmm. she wanted to be famous she wanted to be acknowledged as being somebody what's the best indication of that fan letters you think i'm great i will answer every one of them mm-hmm. so you will continue to love me mm-hmm. i need your love i need it <laughs> well though i'm i didn't know about the uh the plastic surgery though yeah yeah i couldn't find too many details on that well yeah, yeah she... because at that time i'm how do you I'm sort of aghast that you would go under the knife at that time period and let people fuck with your yeah, face. Yeah, apparently there was some dental work, I think. Well, if you look yeah. at her, her teeth are kind of chompers. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're suspiciously sturdy. Yeah. <laughs> looking. So 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 back to so back to the movie, we'll pull it back Michael a little Cur- bit. Michael 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 Curtiz directed it and Michael Curtiz could direct the fuck out of a movie. Oh, and the the cinematography is delicious. Oh. So many shadows and lights and mm-hmm. and angles and ah and pacing. The yeah. pacing is terrific. Well, Curtiz is often credited as kind of really establishing what film noir was in America. I mean, arguably the first film noir was a movie that he directed, which is 20,000 years in Sing Sing. And of course, Casablanca was very formative in, in noir. And, uh, you know, of course this, which was, came a little later, but yeah, Curtis was a really sturdy director and he knew how to visually tell a story. Oh yeah. And, 
apparently he was kind of hard to work with <laughs> because he, he was this crazy Hungarian man. His son said uh, he spoke five languages, none of them well. <laughs> uh, like there, there's there's a story about uh, while on Casablanca, Curtis asked for a poodle. <laughs> like he asked a set dresser for a poodle. It was a puddle. Um, there, there are other things like he was working on a different movie and he asked for empty horses, which was horses without riders. Uh, uh, yeah, all sorts of crazy stuff. But this is the guy who directed Casablanca and the Adventures of Robin Hood and Captain Blood and the Seahawk and Yankee oh, Doodle So Dandy. many good movies. And he made 12 movies with Errol Flynn, eight with Humphrey Bogart and... and there, I mean, there was one year in 1938, he was nominated for Best Director twice. I'm not surprised. Yes, <laughs> he did uh, Angels with Dirty Faces and Four Daughters in oh, that same year. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was nominated for Best Director for Mildred Pierce. Didn't win, but he did win for Casablanca. <sighs> okay, I would also like to drink with Michael Curtiz. I feel like that would oh, yeah. also be a hell of a good time. He's, I don't know. I Anybody don't... who could do that many movies with Errol Flynn had to be able to to deal. True, true. He, he was apparently really focused, though. So, I mean, you might have to distract somehow distract him. If he's Hungarian, he probably drank something. Oh, probably. But, I mean, he, this is a man who didn't believe in lunch. Like, he, he'd really get angry. <laughs> oh, my. He'd really get angry if actors took lunch because he felt like actors who'd had lunch got kind of lazy in the afternoon, so he wouldn't let people have lunch. Oh, my goodness. Um, there, there was one day he <laughs> fell out of a moving car that he was driving because he wanted to write down an idea <laughs> while he was driving. Oh, my goodness. Wait, how do you fall out of a car when you're writing down? Was I, he writing outside the car? I don't know. Like, oh, you, hold up that piece of paper while I drive by? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, speaking of alcohol. Oh, yes, booze. One of the best developments of Mildred's character in the movie yes. is her development, is yeah. the the way her relationship with alcohol changes yeah. over yes. the course of the story. When it first starts, somebody's like, do you want to drink? Oh, I don't drink. I don't drink. And then somebody likes, how do you like it? I like it innocent. Harmless. 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 I like it harmless. No, 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 no. And then by oh, the- needs more seltzer. <laughs> by the end, when she finally goes to meet with Monty to say, let's get married. Yes, I'm willing to buy you. He's like, would you like a drink? Yes. How would you like it? Straight. And he does a double take. <laughs> yeah. You what? what? <laughs> a what? I like what? it straight. <laughs> I like it that way. All right, then. Okay. And she, and I love, she has this moment with Ida where she says, men have, she basically says, men have driven me to drink. I've mm-hmm. gotten into alcohol because of men. <laughs> yeah. And, and Ida's a little... And it's just like, look, you know yeah. what? I think I've got this. I, I understand you. I'm going to drink too. <laughs> oh, oh I'm a little drunk. Yes. And then Ida's all like, I'm a little drunk. Yeah. yeah. Eve, Eve Arden's fantastic. There, There's a story about her um, when she was in a stage play. Apparently, um, she was having a scene on stage with a guy... Uh, with another actor and it was a husband and wife having a fight you know kind of intense and the telephone rings on stage and she quickly surmises that phone's not supposed to ring on stage but i bet this is a prank that was set up by that guy 
the, the guy I'm fighting with. So she goes over and she answers the phone. And she's like, oh, hello. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, he's right here. And she hands him the phone. <laughs> yes. It's one of the most, fa- speaking as a theater major, it's one of the most famous stories we tell each other of how to handle things on stage and a great ad lib was he did it to fuck with her and she's like oh really hello it's for you (laughs) kiss my ass (laughs) oh she's my new hero oh and (sighs) she's beautiful too Mm -hmm. oh she's and she's she also has a great voice but joan crawford's voice is fantastic now speaking of voices Butterfly McQueen is in this movie. Oh, she is. Hi. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's just like a wedding. Don't you just love a party? Oh, Butterfly McQueen. Oh. And it's sort of random. Like, her her appearance and everything is like, it's, it's not that there couldn't have been that person there, but it's clearly, oh, look, we have Butterfly McQueen available. Let's stick her in this movie to be adorable. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you don't, if you're not familiar with Butterfly McQueen, which is possible because she had a really short career. I don't know nothing about Birth and No Babies. I don't know nothing about <laughs> Birth and No Babies, Scarlett. Yeah, she was she was Prissy in Gone with the Wind. Uh, she was also Lulu in The Women, which is a fantastic. Oh, The movie. Women. The Have Women is an amazing women? movie. Oh my God, you so need to see The Women. <laughs> we should. <gasps> Speaking of bitchery. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a tremendous film. That you need alcohol, and you need we need cigarettes just to sort of hold while you watch it. (laughs) All right, because I don't smoke, but you gotta like gesture and shit. Okay, okay, I'm I'm all for this. I'm down. (laughs) So Butterfly McQueen is a fucking badass. Love Butterfly McQueen. She quit acting in 1947, which is two years after this movie, because she was really frustrated by the racism in Hollywood. Yeah, imagine that. I'm. Shocked. What? Shocked, I told you. There was you. racism in Hollywood? Oh. What are you talking about? She had a plum role playing the maid in this movie. Oh, God. <laughs> she did do some theater after that, but, you know, otherwise she just kind of got by, you know, regular person jobs. Um, but she was, um, like, at age 64, she decided, I'm going to get a political science degree. And she did. Uh, she was a lifetime member of the Freedom from Religion Foundation. She was a lifetime atheist. Fucking love you, Butterfly McQueen. Oh, yeah. yeah. When she when she passed away, she never got married. She never had kids. So when she passed away, she gave all her money to them. I love it. Um, she, I love it. She did, you know, charity and all that stuff. But I love this quote from her. They say the streets are going to be beautiful in heaven. Well, I'm trying to make the streets beautiful here. When it's clean and beautiful, I think America is heaven and some people are hell. Oh, <laughs> I kind of love her. Yeah, there's a lot to love there. Okay, so wait. This was based on a book. Yes. Which Allie has read. Okay. Let me clarify. I have not read it. I've done my, my homework on the yeah. book. James, okay. M, James M. Kane. Yes. Who, who also wrote The Postman post- Always Rings Twice. Precisely. Also, oh the novel, my God. also the novel The Double Indemnity. Yes. Was based on. Yes. Yeah. So this was a guy who did a thing. All right. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. So I come into these things with nothing to say aside from I thought that was really pretty. And then we're like, oh my God, Mildred Pierce is going happen i have things i want to say about mildred pierce (laughs) so i saw this movie a couple oh god a few years back now on probably turner classic movies or something in the middle of the night with my dad with nothing else on television and we're like okay black and white films let's watch this so we came in about probably halfway through so i had not seen the beginning properly i've gone back and watched it again but never actually 
like saw the whole thing start to finish in one go. This was the first time to actually sit down and watch it all. Nice. So the book is told chronologically. There is no flashback. And it spans, I want to say, nine years. Yes. Okay, you think Vita is bad in this movie? She is holy terror in the books. She has so much agency and she knows exactly what she is doing at all times. She connives her mother every single step of the way. It's not just the innocent, oh, but I wish we had nice things. We deserve such nice things, mother. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Her singing career is much more prominent in the book. Um, Mildred works her way through providing these expensive voice lessons for her daughter so that when she becomes this singer later on in the story, it's much more, okay, well, that was the natural progression. That's what she's always been working towards. It's just she's doing it on her own. But so she gets this singing career once she's been thrown out of the house for for being an awful person. (laughs) And she comes back into Mildred's life after having been this club singer. And Mildred's like, oh, my God, you can do so much better. Please come home. So she, you know, she marries Monty and Vita comes back and immediately is like hot and heavy with Monty. Let me tell you, let me tell you why there's a murder plot in this film. There is no murder plot in the book. Two words. Hayes code. (laughs) (laughs) Because she had to get what was coming to her. Oh, absolutely. And Monty had to get what was coming to him. Yes. And And they could not. Once I am on board with the Hayes code because (laughs) <laughs> if those two had gotten away with it, so much hate. I oh, so the the other reason why there's the the murder and then everything's told in flashback is because of double indemnity. Yes, because double indemnity came out before this, and double indemnity has that structure mm-hmm. and it did oh, very well. Let's yes. do it like that. Yes. yes, yes. So Vita is immediately like intense with Monty, and and they're they've got this whole relationship going. But of course, because of the Hayes Code, you can't show that. Because that would be infidelity and incest, mm-hmm. even though uh, step, it's it, whatever, really, it's not it's, good. It's a little bit pedophilic. It's yes, and it, it's, it's, well, it's especially in the book because she, I believe, she skews a little bit younger at that point. It's just creepy. But I think she's like seventeen when she takes up with him, which is ugh, creepy to us now. But as we learned, Mildred Pierce was seventeen when she married. Her yeah, husband, seventeen Bert was Pierce, a lot older yes. back then, but yes, but still not. Good. So she, yeah, so they have this sexual relationship going and Mildred catches them in bed together (laughs) and strangles Vita. (laughs) Not, she doesn't murder her, but she strangles her bad. Vita loses her voice and cannot sing. (gasps) Good. Shut your whore mouth. And they, you know, that that's it. They're, they're done. Well, Vita shows up later after Mildred has, I believe at this point, Mildred has reconciled with her first husband. She's split off from Monty because he's sleeping with her daughter. What the fuck? (laughs) And so she's back with her first husband and Vita shows up with reporters to tearfully reconcile with her mother because I was so awful and it was terrible and I can change and I love you and I miss you. And of course, Mildred is a sap and takes her back and she's like, I love you. I'm sorry. And then after the reporters are gone, Vita reveals, I have my voice. I want it out of my contract. Thank you for that. At which point Mildred finally writes her off for good. Mm -hmm. Her and Bert say to hell with her. 
And they basically ride off into the sunset while Vita goes off to, like, New York or something to enjoy her career. So she gets away with being a very awful person, <laughs> which is why oh. Hayes Code, like... It's like, nope. It's like, nope, she is going to well, go to jail. When I was <laughs> reading the trivia, they had to go through several drafts of the oh, script yeah. uh-huh. before it finally got approved because it was so, quote, problematic. Yes. One, of, one of the drafts was by William Faulkner. Yeah, Holy William shit. fucking mm-hmm. Faulkner. I don't think any of his the person who is actually um, uh, credited with the actual screenplay is uh, Reynold McDonald, who wrote Cleopatra and also Possessed, which we watched last week. Yeah, um, he got an Oscar nomination for this, but there were several contract writers that were working for the studio who had a run at the script, and one of them was William fucking Faulkner. Holy shit. Nobel Prize winning, Pulitzer Prize winning. One of the great American writers. Sound sound in the Fury, William fucking Faulkner. I'm not a big fan. But he is one of the great American writers. Well, he is. He is. He is. I have tried to read Sound in the Fury. I don't care for the Southern Gothic style. Mm. There's just way too much Southern in it. (laughs) (laughs) I, d- I don't have a love affair with the old antebellum thing. Oh, you were all assholes. <laughs> Fuck you. That's how I feel about that. But they talked yeah. real pretty. <laughs> Y'all talk so pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, so did we have anything else that we needed to say about Mildred Pierce? No, I could just read you quotes that from Joan Crawford. <laughs> well, we, we can put those after the credits music. We'll just have you read a bunch of Joan Crawford quotes after the credits. I'll read a ton of them and you can edit to the best ones. Okay, okay. So uh, I loved this movie. I am becoming a Joan Crawford fan. I did not think I was. And so at this point in my life when I'm 45, I'm sorry, Joan. I should have given you love sooner. <laughs> I kind of think you were the left shark of the 40s. <laughs> Joan Crawford don't uh, care. Joan Crawford don't give a shit. <laughs> she has zero fucks to give. Lots. I had a whole lot of lots of stuff. Fucks ain't one of them. <laughs> I believe that is an actual Joan Crawford quote. <laughs> So, yes, Mildred Pierce is one of those movies that you hear about as a classic. This one, deservedly so, seek it out. It's it's really fantastic. Every scene is 100% amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's well acted. It's gorgeously edited. It moves right along. You kind of really don't even know who the murderer is, but you kind of don't care. You're really not watching it for that, which is unusual for me. Usually I... I'm like picking it like the puzzle and I'm like, you know what? I kind of don't care. I'm just enjoying the ride. Oh yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's delicious melodrama. Yes. Yeah. It is like a plus melodrama. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like a really good steak. Yes. Well, she, <laughs> we've said it before. She's got the teeth to chew on it. <laughs> Very sturdy, sturdy jaw. <laughs> Ellie, final thoughts. Oh my gosh. Um, see this movie if you somehow made it through this podcast and you didn't see this movie what is wrong with you go see this movie it's as as everybody else is it's beautiful and it's just it doesn't drag it 
it's the story is fantastic just watch it you will get so involved in oh my god <laughs> and the dialogue i mean yeah. it's really modern dialogue this mm-hmm. is, does not come yes. off as a classic film mm-hmm. yes i agree it's a fantastic movie go see it it is a hell of a lot of entertainment <laughs> yep <laughs> and i will cap with one more piece of trivia that i somehow forgot about joan crawford responsible for it's a small world <laughs> I saw that on the IMDb. Joan Crawford used to be chairwoman of Pepsi. What? And during the 1964 World's Fair, she contacted Disney to create a ride for the World's Fair that dedicated to all the children in the world. It's a Small World was created at the World's Fair. And after the World's Fair was done, she paid to have it moved to Disney. Therefore, dear listeners... The most viral earworm <laughs> in the history of mankind was funded by Joan Crawford. You are welcome. I, I'm i trying to put together the Sherman brothers and Joan Crawford in my head. Like, I'm trying to picture Joan Crawford sinking, sinking, singing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and that's hilarious <laughs> in my head. It's too I'm, bad I'm, this is audio because the face that I'm making right now... <laughs> great i know it is just imagine her shoulder pads oh Oh, so much shoulder pads romulan level shoulder pads go in how they fit through the door to go into into the into it's a small world it's beyond me right like she would because it's it's a bench ride like four people wide and i'm pretty sure it was just her yeah. And her shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. And in that in that uh, fur coat that you see in Mildred yes. Pierce, which is like eight feet wide when she's wearing it, it oh. looks like she's a box. Yes. But it's a box covered in fur. Bit of <laughs> trivia I read. Uh, the director, Michael Curtiz, yeah. was complaining about her clothes not being working class enough. And she's like, what are you talking about? I bought them off the rack. What she didn't tell him is she paid to have her personal seamstress fit the waist and put in more shoulder pads. (laughs) More shoulder pads. More shoulder pads. Not enough shoulder pads. That's only two or three. We need more. Yes. Stack them up. We need to go deeper. (laughs) Make them above level. Yeah. (laughs) Your face there is good. They should be hydraulic. (laughs) (laughs) Baby, I haven't seen you that low in years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We are giddy from how good that movie was. We came back excited. It's so fun. Also, we have a bottle of wine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it's uh, it's it's Menage a Trois Midnight. So it's perfect. Yeah. I've been drinking it. I have. So before we go further off the rails, dear (laughs) listeners, this has been a real education noir. And I have been Melissa. Wendy. Allie. And next week, if you would care to watch ahead, we are going to discuss Key Largo. (sighs) Because we have gone way too far without getting some Humphrey Bogart in our lives. That is true. Mm. Also... Also Lauren Bacall and also Edward G. Robinson. I love him so much. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to read you some quotes of Joan Crawford. Because is this like left shark y'all? Is this like deep thoughts by Jack Handy? Yeah, it's a little bit. It's deep thoughts by Joan Joan Crawford. Crawford. Joan Crawford. Speaking of Marilyn Monroe. Look, there's nothing wrong with my tits, but I don't go around throwing them in people's faces. Love is fire, 
But whether it's going to warm your hearth or burn down your house, you can never tell. I need sex for a clear complexion, but I'd rather do it for love. <laughs> Nobody can imitate me. You can always see impersonations of Catherine Hepburn and Marilyn Monroe, but not me, because I've always drawn on myself only. I think the most important thing a woman can have, next to talent, of course, is her hairdresser. Agreed. <laughs> Recently, I heard a wise guy story that I had a party at my home for 25 men. It's an interesting story, but I don't know 25 men I'd want to invite to a party. Not that anyone cares, but there's a right and wrong way to clean a house. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, the context on that one now. Mm -hmm. I love plain bitches. There's a lot of bitch in every woman. A lot in every man. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be a star, you have to look like a star. And I never go out unless I look like Joan Crawford, the movie star. If you want to see the girl next door, go next door. <laughs> oh, bless. I know, right? It's so great. <laughs> when she saw Spencer Tracy made up for Captain's Courageous with the curly hair. Oh my God, it's Harpo Marx. <laughs> <laughs> the first time she saw Greta Garbo on the MGM lot, my knees went weak. She was breathtaking. If ever I thought of becoming a lesbian, that was it. <laughs> same honey same <laughs> oh yeah commenting on sex in films i find suggestion a hell of a lot more provocative than explicit detail you didn't see clark gable and vivian lee rolling around in bed in gone with the wind but you saw that shit-eating grin on her face the next morning and you knew damned well she'd gotten properly laid <laughs> we hope you enjoy our film fixation we'll see you next time on a noir education thank you for joining us for a real education noir new episodes arrive on the 7th and 21st of every month please visit our website at r-e-e-l-e-d-u-n-o-i-r dot com. Once there, you can comment on our episodes, as well as find links to our feeds on iTunes, Twitter, and Facebook. Special thanks to Tim Wick, Jeffrey Brown, and Chad Dutton for our theme music. If you like our show, you might also like our parent podcast, A Real Education, which discusses all genres of film. You can find it on the web at r-e-e-l-e-d-u dot com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Please, Mom. Please, Mom. Being a mother is not a popularity contest. I'm Anne Bly. And like you, sometimes I say no to snack cake. When I do say yes, it's Hostess, because freshness never tasted so good. Hostess fruit pies, Twinkies, and ho-hos. So moist and creamy, you know they're fresh. And that's why they taste so good. Hostess fruit pies, Twinkies, and ho-hos. Freshness never tasted so good.